we did it super modest. I mean, I opened the restaurant for like a little bit more than I opened the cart, maybe 50, 60 grand max. It doesn't take tons and tons of money to do that. And that's really what it boils down to, I think, is being really realistic and knowing, but also knowing you got to know what you're doing. What's happening? What's good, though? It's your boy, Idrif. How y'all doing? How are y'all doing? I'm doing great, in case any of you were wondering. Today, we have Craig with Gracie's A Pizza. Craig is doing some awesome stuff over there in Portland, Oregon, where he has moved from a mobile unit to a storefront. And he's really killing the game with a unique take on pizza using whole wheat, using some craft flour, and really just using quality ingredients. But really the highlight of this podcast isn't just about the pizza. We really dive in deep on lifestyle, uh, business, um, a lot of the things that, you know, both rookie business owners and seasoned business owners should really consider. This is a great episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, dough? How are you? I'm pretty good. Awesome, man. So I want to I want to start these off with, with this question. Mm-hmm. And there's no wrong answer. What's good, dough? <laughs> Oh, what's good, Dell? What a good question. Um, well, I guess for me, we'll go super technical about the dough itself. And to me, it's all about the wheat. I like to think that I, I think more than even being a pizza person or a dough person or a bread person, it, it really comes down to being a, a wheat person, um, which really goes down to being an agriculture person. I work with a local local ish mill there in upstate Washington. I'm in Portland, Oregon. They're called Karen Springs and they grow like really responsibly grown, craftly milled uh, flour, a lot of varieties. And so we're able to kind of hone in the, the style that we want. And we use flowers that are, are kind of unique. They're hybrids in a way between like, they're almost like a middle ground between a whole grain flour and what you get in a, a more traditional white flour. So we can go into the specifics of flour milling or we can just leave it right there. But we use two different wheats. Flour milling is one of the more advanced mm-hmm. types of pizza making compared to what's really out there. I feel like most pizza makers are not using that style. Um, why would they try to avoid that in general? It requires a lot of work. <laughs> um, you know, every time you play around with a new flower, a new type of flower, it messes with your whole operation, you know, it messes with the strength of the dough. It messes with the hydration of the dough. And, you know, typically the more whole grain components you have, the more hydration you need. Um, so then you need to work with a higher hydration dough and then that becomes a different process, right? So if people came up kind of in the ranks of traditional pizza, um, they're probably used to like yeast and white flour. And both of those things can build a very strong, dough right the the image of people throwing pizzas in the air if you throw my dough in the air your hands will just go right through it it's delicate and gentle you know so i think like having worked at a place that used a lot of whole grain in their dough like it's it was really hard to handle so i think part of it is just is that and part of it is just as a culture we're used to white flour 
and white flowers has a certain to me now it's not even like that i want to be highbrow about it i just like i'm used to the flavor you get from having an influx of, of germ and bran and you know more whole grain so to me i eat a white flower and it's it's bland often um but i mean still pizza i love all pizza like hands down i'll eat the the, the top to the bottom like i don't care but but from a taste perspective, there's definitely, I'll take a bite of another, you know, pizza somewhere. I know when it's got a, a component of whole grains in it or it doesn't, you know, and to me, change the flavor. You get real big flavor boosts from, from more grains. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I was just speaking with someone who was talking about flavor in pizza dough. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest factors he stated was the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Does... Do the flowers that you're working with create that process or is it your process that gives it flavor? What yeah, I think, it's, it? I think it's both. I mean, my, all my dough is naturally leavened, so it's all sourdough. Um, and so we have longer fermentation times, um, which, which helps develop flavor. Anything fermented tastes more complex, maybe not better or worse, but more complex than anything that's not fermented. That's just like, that's just basic science, which I don't know a lot about, but like, I know enough about that. I do a lot of fermentation outside of pizza as well. So, um, so anytime you have, you know, natural fermentation, you have more complexity, which I think gets you tons of flavor. Um, I use a, a fairly high salt percentage in the dough as well, which I think a lot of people don't. And I think people are low on their salt percentage. And then I think when you use flours that has more, you know, when that has more of the wheat characteristics in it, you have more sugars, you have more oils, you have more stuff to ferment. And you have more stuff that has flavor, right? Um, a wheat kernel is like endosperm, germ, and bran. You know, if you're getting all those components, you're getting a more dynamic flavor. If you sift out the bran, you sift out the germ, and you just roll or mill the endosperm, and you get, you know, standard white flour, it doesn't taste like anything. And that's also goes into nutrition because you lose all, almost all the nutrition. And then when you sift it super, super fine, right? Super classic, uh, you double know, zero. Double, double zero. That's like grown from commodity wheat in the United States, shipped to Italy, milled, packaged, shipped back, right? To me, mm. you, you, you have an expiring product at that point, and you've taken out all of, the, all of the, the goodies. So by the time you get it, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of, it doesn't taste like anything, you know? And that makes it a broad canvas, but for me, it lacks a certain kind of complexity. Interesting. Yeah. So... You're talking about a broad canvas versus mm-hmm. a specific picture, a profile. Um, what is it that you're working with in terms of the product that you have? Yeah, I mean, I've settled in. We've changed our dough about maybe four or five times over the two years. I've tried other ones in between, but in terms of what we've actually operated with, we've settled lately for on two flowers that we get. They're both type 85 flowers. So type 85 is a certain, there's different ways in which people break down um, the measurements of how something's sifted, which makes flour confusing because there's different systems, whether you're using like a French system or an Italian system, there's all these different systems. But type 85 is like a certain, the 85 represents ash content, which fundamentally for the average person represents the amount of whole grain in something. The lower that number, the less grain is in there. That makes sense. So The lower the number out of? Uh, I guess... I don't know how low it goes. I don't know the whole scale, but like I just got a flower that I was playing around with some pasta with that was a type 65. So that's like more sifted, right? And maybe 
I don't know if double zero is on that scale, but maybe in theory, if you go all the way down to zero or double zero, it's like there's nothing in there, right? Um, and then a whole grain flour is maybe 100% or whatever. So um, we use two different flours. Um, one is a hard red wheat. One is, uh, it's called a land race. So it's, um, land races mean like if you throw the seeds out and they grow, they'll be all different. So a land race, you get different. It's a, it's its own variety. It's called Skagit 1109. That was developed uh, by the WSU Red Lab, I believe, up here, which is like super famous. Um, so we use that, which is a softer wheat, and then we use the hard red, which is like a, a harder wheat that has kind of more protein. Um, and so those two were like 60, 40, one to the other. So it gives you kind of, for me, that works out the nicest in terms of the structure of the dough and the flavor of the dough. And I find that when you go into whole grains, personally, it can you lose texture, right? So if you have a lot of whole grains, it can get heavy. So these flowers work really nice for me to get all the flavor bumps of grains, but more of the texture of, of what you get out of a white flower. Cause you can get a white flower dough, like super airy, super crispy because it's, it's, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially it's been stripped out of all of its goodies. And all it's the goodies. just, it's just air, air and um, whatever's air. connecting it. Yeah, air. exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So you found a balance of taste and structure, mm -hmm. right? And you've ch you've changed it four or five times. You said something like that. Yeah. Is it going to continue to change? <laughs> Probably. I would think so. I mean, we've been on this formula for a while now. Um, I really liked them, but anytime there's a new flour that the mill gets that seems interesting to me, or that I use for bread, or I use for something different, I'll try. You know, I'll try it out. Um, I've had different portions of of sifted flours in there, which are more whole grain than what I use. I've kind of had a lot of different, I started with some white flour and a more traditional white flour and some of this stuff. And then we quickly switched away from that. So it's kind of just been a slow, a slow build into something that I like. I cook all wood fired, which is different because I don't like floppy soft pizza. So I, I want texture and I want to cook wood fired. I don't ever tell anyone I cook Neapolitan pizza because I don't cook Neapolitan pizza, but I do cook wood fired pizza. And they kind of look like they're Neapolitan, but they are not. In my yeah, definitely. I mean, Neapolitan is just so strict. It's supposed mm -hmm. to look a certain way. It's supposed to taste a certain way. Yeah, too floppy. Definitely, yeah, um, not my favorite. Uh, the floppiness. Yeah, <laughs> but you said that you've just kind of moved along from white to basically making your own mix. Like, mm -hmm. what exactly are you looking for? I'm looking for a combination of um, pizza. For me, is about you know, is about flavor and texture. So for me, I'm trying to find, I want as much whole grain as I can get while not losing the texture. So I'm finding the point when it cooks in a way that I don't like, if that makes sense. So I want it to still be nice and light. I want it to have, to, to have a certain quality when it comes out of the oven. And so to me, that is important. And so I'm trying to push the, the, the kind of whole grain content until I start to lose the textural qualities. Um, and I don't want it to taste like bread. I want it to taste like pizza. They're different to me. So I feel that. So yeah. pe people go into that when they get into the whole grain, sometimes it gets so intense that it's, uh, it, it's, it, it tastes like, it tastes like bread shaped like pizza. They're different, even though it's both dough. I, yeah. I'm, I'm working on that right now. My wife <laughs> is like, she's like literally, nope, take this back. This is, this tastes too much like bread. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, we're, you're right. Yeah. We're not satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> um, some people think that we're bread bakers and for sure there, there is aspect to mm -hmm. that game, but I feel like there's a, 
clear distinction between the two. Yeah. And, the, and that's also anything I say for sure is like, is just my position. Someone else might be after something that's more bready. That's totally cool. Go do your thing. You know, somebody might want something that is all white flour and creates its own thing. You know, like everyone's entitled to their, in my opinion, into okay. their position on how they want to go about their Like, I don't think the way that I do it is the only way it's me trying to get something that, that I want in terms of flavor and quality. So who are you trying to serve then? I mean, has it been like, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is the food that I'll eat every day? Or how do your customers feel about that? Oh, they love it. I mean, ultimately I serve, I think as a, as a cook, chef, whatever you want to call a person, I, I prefer cook. Like, you know, if you cook the food you want to eat every day, you're, the people that come are going to like it, right? It's not, it's not actually selfish. People think that that idea of like, I cook for me is like selfish. It's actually not. The idea is like, if I want to eat it every day, in theory, I'm an expert. That's why you're coming to my restaurant. Whether I am or not, who knows? Experts are loose term. But in theory, I, I open the business. I'm an expert. You're paying me to feed you. So like, if I really want to eat it, in theory, you should want to eat it. And if you don't want to eat it, you can go somewhere else. And like, but, but if I make the thing that I think is the best, the probability that someone else likes it is really high. The idea of like serving the customer, you don't actually know what anyone wants and everyone wants something different. So all you can really do, I think, is make the thing that you think is ultimately the best. Hopefully they like it. Let them come and get it. So I, I love that. I love believing in your food. I love feeding yourself. And I love the fact that you said they're trusting me to feed them, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of builds that credibility on your mm-hmm. end. Now, here's one thing that I spoke to someone um, who's starting his own pizza business and has mm-hmm. a little bit of experience managing. And so he was looking at his numbers and he's from Italy and he was trying to serve mortadella. Mm-hmm. And just the numbers weren't there. Has that ever been a problem for you? Yeah. I mean, uh, actually, when we put mortadella on some pies, we had great success with it. Um, but but not always. I've been other places where you haven't, you know, so um there are definitely things I've learned that the way you word stuff matters a lot. So I've been doing a lot of pizzas with, um, with some friends of mine. Uh, a good friend of mine cooks uh, Vietnamese food here. Uh, he has a, a, a food truck called Mata. And uh, we've done a couple collaborations, pizza-related, non-pizza-related. But like I did a, I did a, uh, like a meat series where I, for two months, every week, I got meat from another person in town. Um, barbecue truck, uh, friend of mine that makes meatballs, friend of mine that does the, the Vietnamese food, and we put it on a pizza, right? And for his, you know, we sold out the meatball pie, no problem, easy peasy. Um, with his, how we worded it mattered so much. So on day one, it was like, kind of like Vietnamese style pork belly. I made this like kimchi uh, hot sauce, this like fermented kimchi that I pureed and passed into a, a like a sauce. You know, we worded it that way we sold like not a lot, right? Then we, we, we adjusted it slightly. We sold a little bit more. By the end, we sold, you know, pork belly, spicy pork belly pizza, boom, sold, you know? So, so much of it is just wording, which is its own problem, like in other things, like the fact that, that people are, you know, people, I think it ultimately comes down to people are afraid of what they don't understand, right? So mortadella even is something that like people don't understand. Sometimes it's a word they don't know. So changing a word on something, um, can have a huge impact, you know? Um, and then it's also about building trust. Like now we're at the point where my menu changes 
it's pretty fluid. We have things that are on the menu all the time that are just verbal additions, you know, and, and our customer base comes in and asks for them. So they trust me, but it didn't, it took a while, you know, it took them coming in and getting those things and liking them. And it takes having people who can explain it to them in a nice way. Like that comes down to service in a lot of ways, like mortadella and you have to judge, check their facial expression. You know, are they confused by that? Explain it to them. That's where service is important. You actually have to be judgmental quickly in a good way to make, to figure out what's that magical point to get what they ultimately don't understand and what they might want, you know, cause they might really like mortadella, but you have to find out in a very short interaction, what it is that will get through to them. Do you have to just explain it as Italian bologna? That might work on someone, you know, someone yeah. else, might, but to another person that might be like, fuck that. I don't want that. You know? So, <laughs> so I think it's like, that takes, that takes technique. That's like, cert, like talking to people is a technique. And if you just try to deliver something the same way to everybody, you're probably going to fail. Hell yeah. Um, unless, you know, especially when it's something they don't understand. It happens all the time with fermented things because I use a lot of fermented foods. And a lot of times I just leave out the word fermented. If they want to know more, they can ask me and I'll tell them all about it. But that's also how I do the menu. For me, it's really, really minimal. So I don't advertise everything we do. My menu doesn't say uh, house-made mozzarella. My menu doesn't advertise the fact that every vegetable I buy comes from a farm. You know, I just buy them. If somebody says like, man, this is the best salad I ever had. Why is it so good? I'm like, cause these greens are fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> and they're from flying coyote farm. You should get food from them. And then I'm, I'm happy to go deeper as they want to go, you know, but, uh, same with the dough. Like I'm vocal about it, but it's not like on the menu, the flowers or the mills or any of those things. But if someone says like, man, this is the best pizza I ever had. Why is it so good? And it's like, well, I buy great flour. Sometimes I leave it there. Sometimes they say, what does that mean? You know? Then I say, oh, I buy it from this mill. And then before you know it, you end up having a conversation about type 85 flowers with some people. Other people are like, oh, cool. You buy good flour. Best pizza I ever had. Bye. <laughs> and that's fine, too. It's all good. I mean, with that, you, like you said, you have to have people slanging your pizzas. It, mm -hmm. Slanging means sell. Um, <laughs> for those of you listening who may not know. But how do you find those people? I mean, do they vibe with you? Or are they your homies? Are they pizza nerds, too? Mix of both. I mean, the staff I put together here, I mean, I ran, I had a truck first for a year and a half before I opened the restaurant and, uh, I worked pretty much alone. I just had people help take orders every once in a while on super busy days, but otherwise I did it all myself. I went to shop. I had a, a crew of people. We're super small. I mean, we have four or five employees. Um, I'm there every day making, making pizza uh, for the most part. And, um, yeah, I mean, one, two of them are people I had worked with before. One of them is a, a really good friend of mine who's like a bread, a bread wizard um, and has a lot of pizza experience. And that was kind of the crew I started with. They all worked in the service industry. Two of, them, two of them worked with me at a pizza place, you know, and I like them all as humans. Ultimately, when it comes down to hiring, I hire people that I like and that I do vibe with. Um, that matters more to me than anything else. I could teach you how to make a pizza in 10 minutes. Teaching how to manage the fire, that's tough. But like, I can teach you that stuff. You know, what I need is people who are, who are down, who like the product. Like I, a few people have asked me about jobs here and there. And if you haven't eaten there, you can't get hired. That's like literally the first rule. Um, for sure. Even a friend of mine, like a person who I know, she was like, oh, I'm looking for some extra hours. I was like, have you even been into the restaurant yet? She's like, no. And I was like, sorry. That's like my number one rule. So I just want people to be down with what I'm doing. You know, they have to be, they don't have to be a total pizza nerd. I'm down with people also coming to work and doing their thing and leaving, but I just want, you have to have the right energy that matters way more than your knowledge about anything. You have to 
understand how to communicate with people so you can do that you know when you're on the register taking orders you can you need to be able to to vibe with the person and that's a different skill set you do learn it from experience those are human qualities for me you're looking for certain kind of people that makes a lot of sense at the end of the day you're working with them mm-hmm. and they you spend audrey from audrey jane's pizza garage mm-hmm. told me you spend most of your life with your employees the people sure. you work with right they have to have your back when mm-hmm. stuff is going on and then you have, you have to have their back you have to <laughs> take care of them absolutely That's the biggest. absolutely they, you're, they, you're they the want, backbone yeah they want to know that you're that you're there for them and that you support them as humans as people that you pay them well um all the all the things that you treat them well that you help them learn. Like they just want to know that you care about them. And that's the most important thing. And if you give them that and they trust you, if you give them trust, I don't believe trust is earned. I think you give it. And if you give people trust and you follow through on it, they'll work hard for you and they love it. And they work with me. I always call them my coworkers, you know, like, cause we're, we're all there together. We all wash the dishes. We all scrub the floors. We all, not not in the same night, but we all make pizza. We all do all the things. There's no there's no real hierarchy at the place. And that, you know, we're all in this together. And if like one person is better at one thing than someone else, like nicely tell your coworkers, like hold them accountable. Um, we're all here to hold each other accountable. I tell them all the time, like the person cutting and serving the pizzas gets is the final call. I don't care if I made it, I don't care who made it. <laughs> you could say, Craig, do you want to, you know, obviously it's my business, but if it's not servable, you should tell me like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to serve this pizza. And then I can come over and say like, you're right. You know? Um, and we have a rule on, on how we have, you know, a structure to how we determine if we're going to serve something or not. If there's one thing wrong with it, depending on how bad that thing is, maybe we can little tiny hole could be okay. Cut right through it, you know? But if you have a, a, a weird shape and a little hole, boom, bounce it, you know, two things, even if they're two tiny things done, you know? So that just comes down to the people good communication and and knowing by the end of the day we can mostly work together without talking um because they know they know what i like i know i know they know when i'm i'm going to be happy with something and when i'm not and and the same thing for them so that's ultimately what it comes down to that's such a great environment to be in like no one can have an ego there it seems like and it's just like come in to do the work you put out good product you have a good time and it sounds Mm -hmm. so positive i mean i've definitely worked i work at places where it's not like that and it's Oh my goodness! Oh, we've all trained. Fucking horrible. It's a train. <laughs> you know, even even if you only work part time, it's like that shit eats up your day. You wanna you wanna know when you go in there. You wanna have a good time, man. We've been closed down because of all the coronavirus stuff, and like we're open like a couple days a week doing a, a very specific kind of service. And like two of my employees work each one of one day a piece, and like they're so happy to be there. They're happy to have something to do and they're happy to like be there because they like it. Even on days when they're not, they're, they don't even seem like they're doing anything. Like, you know, they might just be making salads or run. We don't do service. So we're just like dropping off pizzas at the front door pretty much, you know, um, they're happy to be there. And that's important. I and mean, that's the most important thing. Wow. That's great. I'm glad you've cultivated that team and you found, and you've all found a match within each other. That's amazing. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, so, was it called Gracie's a Pizza when you started the food truck? Yeah, from the very beginning, it was called Gracie's a Pizza, um, and yeah, I had a yeah. The truck was mobile, so it drove around, um, and yeah, I had that for a year and a half. I really just did it because it was the easiest way to get into the business. I've been cooking my whole life, really since I worked in like more traditional kitchens when I was like in my early twenties, 
Um, and I've been all over the food industry. I've worked in farms. I've done a lot of like food buying for some markets, uh, did sourcing for a food co-op, did some cheese mongering. Um, and I really stopped working specifically in restaurants for the bulk of like my 20s. I continued cooking and doing things in food, working in coffee, studying wine, a lot of different things. But like, I didn't want to be like a, like a line cook, like a line dog, you know, who like spends their life working 60, 70 hours a week, making pennies in abusive, miserable environments that aren't fun and are grueling. Um, and so I went a different route and I kind of vowed not to like get back into professionally cooking until it was just, I would only do it my own way. For you. Hell um, yeah. And that's why I moved out to Portland and then just kind of fell into the truck and then kind of just fell into the restaurant. And here I am. Okay. I got a lot of questions for that. Oh, gosh. Well, first off, just tell me about the cheesemongering because that's a, that sounds like such a fun job. Yeah. I mean, I was working in, I was in Philadelphia at the time and I took a job as like an intern, essentially working for a local foods market, um, working with a really cool cheesemonger there. And we only dealt with, uh, it was all local food. So it was just cheeses from Vermont. I mean, from New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. We a couple here and there from Vermont, but really just New New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. And uh, so I got really familiar with a very specific world of cheeses, but they're all in fundamentally in a style. So I just learned a ton about cheese, um, and more than anything, for me, you know, and it goes back to the all the way back to the wheat. It's like for me, everything I do is about taste, right? So. I want to taste dynamic things. So I'm interested in, in food because I love to taste, right? Working on a farm in my hometown for like four years, all through high school, you know, just like it's when I learned like a tomato could be magical or a strawberry could be magical, you know, and then you start tasting cheese. And then I worked in coffee for a while, super complex, studied wine for a little bit, super like all these things, fermented foods, wheat, all these things are, they're dynamic, you know? So cheese for me, I'm, I still don't, I have a ton to learn about cheese. I only did it for a short time. And then I ended up moving into doing all the buying for the whole market. I was really small, but I, people left and they needed someone to fill that role. So I actually got less specifically focused on cheese, but you know, it's just dynamic taste is what's interesting. And you can explore that through a million different realms. I just happen to make pizza and I love it more than anything, but like it could be other things, you know? Um, so yeah, making uh, the cheese mongering was really cool. It was like fun to there. It was cool because it was all small dairies. So I was like really talking with the cheesemakers. Um, I had no business doing it, but I was like set up a little rack in our walk-in and was like aging some cheeses just to see what the hell happened. I would just call them up and be like, "Is it okay to have like neon green mold?" They're like, "Yep, that's cool. Okay, <laughs> see what happens, you know." And then taste it, and then see if you like it or don't like it, and you know, just like kind of learn that way. Um, yeah, it's fun. Cheese is fun. Dude, your taste buds must be off the hook, man. I, I wish they were better. <laughs> oh, you were dealing with coffee, wine, cheese, and now we, it's all like these, how do you extract the best taste? That is yeah. such an interesting way to live. That's fun. It's fun, right? <laughs> and, and, it apply, and you could take that well out. You take that model with taste, quite frankly, and apply it to anything. Mm -hmm. And all, you know, and a quality about me that's, unique to me is I'm, I'm innately curious. Like I'm not, I always tell people like, I don't think I'm smarter than people. I am more curious than most people. And that's different. You know, it's, 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 I, when I get into something like I'm in it and I want to be in it and I want to learn the, the process. You know, I taught a pasta making class at a, at a, uh, 
food co-op in New York many years ago. And I lived there and like the two weeks leading up to this pasta making workshop, I just went in, I was making pasta every day with every kind of flour, you know, double O versus not double O eggs, semolina, no water, no, no eggs, water only. I, because when I taught that class, I wanted to be able to answer any question these people could have asked me. All they wanted to do was go in there, have a good time, roll out some pasta, cook some pasta, eat some pasta. And I had like, I was prepared to answer any question they had, you know, that's just how I am. Good. <laughs> no, that's, oh my goodness. Okay. So take that experience mm -hmm. and compare that to someone who teaches a class of New York style pizza making in Los Angeles. And then when we ask him, why does the pizza rise? Oh, it's because of the bechamel sauce. <laughs> this dude literally went to Nancy's pizza, like Osteria. Nancy, she's a famous pizzeria in Los Angeles. Pizzeria Nancy, Sil Nancy, Silverton. Nancy Silverton. Yes. Pizzeria Mozza. Pizzeria Mozza. Yes. I'm so sorry, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> he went there and it was like eating there, watching the people make pizza. And it was like, I could do that. <laughs> and he like practiced a couple of times and that's it. And like, literally you could just tell he, he was so inexperienced and just he thought that anybody could just make pizza and then teach it as a class because he was already teaching a paella class and i yeah. appreciate that you actually you know you want to be able to provide that resource that education and you know a little bit of proof that you actually know what you're talking about teaching someone is the the highest privilege you know in the same way employing someone if you're employing someone you are a teacher in a lot of ways and so like you have to know your shit and you have to be prepared and if they ask you a question i don't know i'm gonna find out like for sure. <laughs> um, and I just think that's really important. And I think it's like a, a problem we have right now in the world is it's twofold. Like it's easy for people to enter into fields that they've never been able to, which is magical and cool. But people are also getting in with not as much experience. And that's like a fine balance. I'm a product of that because like I didn't just like I didn't go make pizza for 20 years or 15 years or 10 years before I opened a business. But in my spare time, I was treating it like this. So I, while I wasn't necessarily, you know, working in kitchens, my time at home was like, not like a home cook, not, not even rigid, but it was like exploratory. So like I was learning, I took the kind of skills I learned from the couple of years I worked in a restaurant and really just kept building and building and building upon those like foundational principles. But the foundational principle really started working at that farm in high school. That's like where it all began. At that farm in high school, did you know you were going to do pizza? No, I didn't know I was going to do anything. <laughs> I was just working. And I loved them. I loved being there and I loved food. Um, I have grew up just outside of New Haven where pizza is like pretty famous. And um, Sally's to me is the best pizza. That's kind of like the flavors I think about when I make pizza and certain textural qualities for sure. Um, I, so I grew up on that and I grew up in a very Italian-American family. So like great-grandmother made like a lot of, more pan style pizzas because that's what you make at home. Even now, if I'm going to eat pizza at home, I make pan pies because they make sense. Not the crazy, disgusting Detroit things that people are doing, but like a real simple, really a tomato pie sauce, garlic, a lot of garlic, maybe some fresh herbs, olive oil on like a, you know, nicely aerated, simple pan pie, not look, no cheese, grated cheese when it comes out of the oven. That's to me a pizza. That's like what I want. Nice. Um, 
but yeah, that's what, that's what I grew up on, you know, and I had no idea I, I would be a cook when I was working on that farm. I, I didn't know anything. I actually had no real, um, as a young person, I, I, you know, the education system is really not good. And so, uh, I was a product of, uh, you know, a public school system that was like pretty much, I just, I was smart enough to just coast by. I didn't really learn anything. I didn't have any real passions until I really started getting when I started cooking really when I was in my early twenties. And that's when I really started to learn about agriculture and food and health and like kind of how important the whole food system is and how it's all connected. You know, you know, that kind of Michael Pollan quote of like eat good food, mostly plants, not too much or something. Like it's really, if you function on that, it, it really goes, you know, it goes a long way toward being healthy, toward eating delicious food and kind of all these things. So yeah, wow, I deep. had no idea. I stumbled into pizza. No formal plan. Just try to eat the best food, find the best food, and then and then it became pizza. The best food was the best food. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved it. It's pizza. Who doesn't love pizza, right? <laughs> um, and I just started making it. And at one point, I was just decided like this is the thing I want to do. Um, so I started making it a, a ton at home. I got a job at a pizza shop in in Brooklyn for a few months before I moved out to Oregon. I worked with my old boss from 10 years before that uh, at a pizza joint here i worked for six months and then i ended up buying this truck and started my own thing so like it happened pretty fast but but throughout that whole time like i was learning constantly and maybe i wasn't specifically you know making pizza every day for hours but i was learning about flour i was baking bread i was learning about bread i was learning by the time i went to make pizza dough i i had so much bread experience that i was like very very comfortable because you know it is fundamentally the same thing when you talk about how different your pizza is yeah right like it what's the not the allure not just you know but like what do you think why well, should someone come in yeah i don't know because i'm the best <laughs> just <laughs> i mean i just i just care i mean I, I buy i just like again we have a unique i think once you eat it right you got to eat it proofs in the pudding like the dough is dynamic and different than other people's um, because of these qualities, I think it has all the benefits again of texture. It brings texture and flavor together. I use really great ingredients. I, everything I buy is the best I can buy. Um, you know, it's ingredient driven down to the wheat. You know, it's all about not, they're not heavy. They're really light. They're not overly cheesy. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question. I think they should expect deliciousness and I don't think it needs to be much more than that really. Um, ultimately and a good experience, you know, we buy great wine, we make really good salads and non-pizza food, really simple menu, but like, I just buy good stuff. Ultimately people say, well, why is the salad so good? I'm like, I didn't do anything. You know, I shaved some vegetables. I pickled some vegetables. I made a little dressing and I put it on awesome greens. I don't have to do the work. They did the work for me. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. Um, and that's a hard thing about the world right now is like so much of it's about marketing, how you push it, being on Instagram, all that jazz. And it's like, I ultimately, in a lot of ways, I don't like to romanticize other times in history, but like, I ultimately want to just have a restaurant that can just open. I don't want to promote it. I want you to just come in. I want to be a neighborhood joint that people come into and want to eat at every, every week because it's really good. And that's because we're nice and have fun. You know, I don't think it needs to be much more than that, really. Um, and I think my job is to, for me, what I do is to try to create a space where that, that happens as seamlessly as possible. Um, okay. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> what can you tell us about the move from pizza cart to store? 
I treat the store like a bigger pizza cart, honestly. My menu went from four items to eight items, maybe nine or ten. Um, I run it very slim staff, me and two other people maybe. Um, it's a small space. We only seat 26. We have a shared patio outside with a couple other businesses. Um, we do some to go. We sell out just like I used to on the cart. Um, we sell out. We go home, you know. Um, so I think it's while it's not easy, I never want to give the allure that any of it's easy. It's not as hard as people think. And if you're modest about what you want to do, you can do it. Like getting the pizza cart for me, you know, I was funded just by myself and small loans. And, you know, I made it work. I didn't really have, nobody gave me a bunch of money. Um, I didn't borrow a lot of money. I borrowed a very, the minimal amount, right? I never borrowed more money than I knew if the business failed, I couldn't just, I couldn't just make that payment every month. You know, it's less than some people's car payment. Um, I own my car, so I don't have to worry about my car, right? I have like a car that I bought, whatever, six years ago, and I still drive it. So I think like having low expectations, like not low expectations, uh, having low entry costs is really important. So many people open these restaurants. It's just about math. I do a lot of math. I love math. I love spreadsheets, you know? So like the math's got to work. You open a pizza, a pizza joint that's going to seat 25 people and you're going to sell items from 10 to $15, you know, you can't spend a couple hundred thousand dollars to open that place. You're stupid if you do, in my opinion, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just math. How much, how many pizzas do you have to sell to make your money back? You know? So we did it super modest. I mean, I opened the restaurant for like a little bit more than I opened the cart, maybe 50, 60 grand max. Um, you know, I did a lot of the work. My, I'm not super handy, but I, you know, took over a restaurant that already existed. So I didn't have to do the expensive part of the build out, which I think is really smart. I worked with what I had there. I put in the wood fired oven myself uh, or like we, we did that, but like, I used the benches that were there. I, I sanded them down and refinished them. I'm still using their tables because to make, to get custom tables would be, you know, ten twenty thousand $20,000. That's like not a joke. It can cost you ten fifteen thousand $15,000 easy to get 10 tables like custom made. And at the end of the day, it's a table. <laughs> and like, I think our restaurant's totally nice and comfortable and cozy, you know, but it doesn't take, it doesn't take tons and tons of money to do that. And that's really what it boils down to, I think, is being really realistic and knowing, but also knowing you got to know what you're doing, <laughs> it's, you know, but it's so it's weird. It's not that hard, but it's not to say that anybody can also go do it. Um, but you also you have to have modest expectations. And I think people's biggest downfall is like they spend tons of money to open a restaurant. I can close this restaurant anytime I want and I will still have I will have no debt and more money than I started when I opened the truck two years ago. That's not how most restaurants run. No. Um, yeah. Not at all. It's like it gives me real freedom to do whatever I want. If I don't want to stay open, I won't stay open. I'll close. <laughs> I'm taking that a month is... off next week. That is sick. That is like the ultimate like freedom right there. It's important yeah. to me. That's good. I'm, so how is pizza and business the same thing? Because it's, it's, you know, for me um, – it ultimately comes down to like the, the medium doesn't matter, right? We could be talking about business. We could be talking about pizza. We could be talking about pasta. We could be talking about gardening. We can be talking about building a house, you know? Um, it ultimately for me comes down to like, it comes down to learning, right? So business, the business side, so many people I know are like, hate the business side. That's fun. It's the same puzzle, putting a QuickBooks, put, doing QuickBooks, 
putting a spreadsheet together is I use a spreadsheet to, to, you know, track pizza, pizza formulas. If I'm, if I'm testing out formulas, right. So I taught some friends of mine, a, a workshop, a, like a, a workshop, uh, I gave them a QuickBooks session so that they could better run their books, you know, and like, it's all connected. And for me, it's about all that stuff is fun. And I, I find learning about things. I don't like learning about everything, but I find learning about things to be fun. So, um, I don't know. I find it interesting to, I, I find it just as interesting. I don't think they're different. I apply the same basic thinking across both platforms, which makes the business side fun. It's a puzzle. Is that something you learned over time or is that just who you've been your whole life? I guess I've learned it more as an adult. Um, I never learned a goddamn thing until I was like 22. Uh, but I really started learning through food. That's like when I, I, I was smart enough to just kind of coast through school. I didn't really read anything. I didn't really study. I was like a B plus student. I could pass everything with no effort. Um, I stopped going to college pretty early. I went like a year and a half and I was like, this is boring. And then I started cooking and then I started learning about food. And I'll start with Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. I read that book and it fucking blew my mind. And from there, I just like went deep. I, I went to the back and I just started going through all the resources and I was just reading every book I could about raising animals, about raising food. You know, I went, I went and did some woofing, working on farms in Italy for four months and it really allowed me to access this curiosity piece of my brain that I think for the first 20 years of my life, kind of sadly, if I think objectively back on it, it was just like dormant. I didn't have that thing. I didn't have teachers or a thing that really brought it out. And then it was like, when I found this thing, I was like, boom, you know, and I was good at cooking right away. Like, that's another thing. Like it was something that all of a sudden I was like, this thing made sense to me. And so like in two years, I feel like I learned what people learn in a long time. Cause I was just like, I was in it. It really activated the curiosity piece. And from there I started, you know, I didn't even read, I started reading novels. Like my whole world changed, um, from, from really, from food really. And really, like I said, Omnivore's Dilemma for me was the book that totally changed my life. That is very interesting to hear. Like that, was it specifically that first quote you gave to me earlier? Or it was just, just that book. Have you ever read that book? General. No, oh, read the book. I'm going to check it out now. He's awesome. Michael Pollan's super cool. I mean, he's super popular now. He's predominantly known for writing about food and agriculture, really in like the that time period, probably like between 2005, 2010. He wrote a lot of, he did a lot of research and he really brought like local eating, good agriculture kind of to the, the popular world, I think. He was a big part of it. He's, not that I know him, but he's curious, right? He wrote a really awesome book on how to build a house. Um, it was him just following the journey of how he built a writing studio in his backyard from start to finish. You know, again, just like business and pizza, are the same thing. The medium doesn't matter. He wrote a book about that. Then he wrote all these books about food. And most recently wrote a book about how to change your mind uh, about psychedelics. Um, he's a curious person. And he can just like he can cross that across whatever the, the, the medium is. Doesn't almost doesn't matter. It's all through books. Right. But it doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, and so. Yeah, that book's just incredible. I just learned about all kinds of stuff that I, I never, I just never knew about. Wow. Um, so yeah, I think that's how business and pizza are the same. I would say that you know, you if you can have that mindset from the beginning, it's going to push you a long way. Do you think that's why pizza businesses fail? I think that's why all businesses fail. I think you typically have people who are business people who don't understand the craft and you have crafts people who don't understand the business and it's really rare to find people that do both 
right? Ultimately, you see that all the time with, with, with chefs, with cooks, you know, that they may understand food, but they don't really understand how to run a business. Um, they don't want to do math or they don't know how to do math. They never were taught it. Um, they didn't take the time to learn on their own. Um, they don't do a lot of math. You know, it all comes down to margins. If you have bad margins, it doesn't, it doesn't, you're, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> that's just, that's just math. You know, if you don't make most people in the food business, just their margins are too slim. You know, profit margins in, in food businesses are like four to 10%. Like what other business model in the world would anyone say like, I, I want a 5% profit? No. no, again, how pizza and business are the same. Like they are connected. You have to do math. I say that all For the time. Sure. You got to do a lot of math. Okay. Um, Cause if you don't, you're just, you're just screwed. And you know, you can't, I would never run a 5% profit margin business or negative for that matter oh for sure (laughs) but i would never run a business where i would never run a business where the the success rate is to have a five to ten percent profit margin what an insane idea it's just like that's that's crazy and then spend tons of money to open it i mean come on (laughs) it doesn't make any sense to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a business that can net you a five percent profit margin that's just this is why I wanted to start a mobile food truck, and I've it's it's a weird coincidence, but like the last four out of six people I've talked to all had mobile, and you know the numbers work well from what it appears. You're hustling, you're grinding, but shit, good. And their models, to be honest, the restaurant model is worse than everything I was doing before. The truck is more profitable. My pop up model, I do a lot of pop up using mobile ovens. I have a couple Brebels, the pizza ovens, a couple Rock boxes. My profit margins on that side of the business is so much higher. My catering, all my mobile stuff, sheer profit. I mean, I would go out in the truck. I wouldn't even, I would talk numbers with my truck friends, you know, and I could go out. I was mobile. A lot of them are carts that don't move. And uh, I might go do a lunch service somewhere. I might drive 30 minutes to get there, do a two hour service, maybe only serve 30 pizzas, do 350, 400 bucks work two hours, go home, no rent. The only cost I had on the overhead was gas and my pro and my product. I had no labor and I worked for, I would work for four hours. I obviously there's prep. I had to make the dough and yada, yada, yada. But like my service time is two hours. And then I would travel 30, 45 minutes, 30 minutes each way. And I'd be done working by four (laughs) o'clock. Yo, you know? And like, I got a little bit bored with that. Cause like the customer base is not as fun. There's definitely something nice about having a space where people can come, you know, serving lunch to some office people might not be that fun, but from a, if you could separate that part out as a, as a business model, so much better. Um, In you know, terms I, of numbers. Been, yeah. I've been thinking very critically. I haven't said this to a lot of people and I haven't said to anyone publicly about potentially not keeping the restaurant open, not because it's not doing well, but because I value my life. <laughs> And I value a lifestyle working. I want to work three days a week. So, you know, being in a major city like Portland and running a restaurant might not be the right model for me. Um, I'm exploring, you know, what it would be like to maybe live in a smaller place where my overall cost of living for myself could be so much lower. And I can open a business that was maybe open three days a week and maybe closed for two months out of the year, you know, and like still do some of the mobile stuff or the pop-up stuff. Like, I'm interested in alternative ways of, of operating a business and 
it's so connected to my lifestyle, but so much of it is connected to like, how do I create the perfect synergy of lifestyle and earning in a way that feels that I want to do. Right. And for me, I'm, I'm looking for that magic solution. And I don't know that a, a traditional restaurant for me is actually the right model. Um, it's working just fine, but you know, it requires me being open in a certain way. It requires me promoting it in a way that I'm, I don't want. I just want to be a restaurant that's open for people to come to. I don't want to have to ever post it. I think I said to you before we talked on this thing, like I'm moving the business away from social media. Um, I don't want that to be a part of my life. It doesn't make me feel good. So I don't want to do it. <laughs> but I also understand it's value to business and I'm business minded. So, you know, it's putting, it's a big puzzle. It's putting all the pieces together of like the quality of your life, the quality of your business, the earning of your business. You're creating this like ultimate structure. Um, and that's why everything is the same. That's why pizza and business are the same. You know, when I think about food as a, as a centering point, right? Why Michael Pollan's book is so good because it explores deliciousness. It explores craft and creativity. It supports uh, the environmental impacts. It supports ethics. It supports health, right? There's like five pillars, in my opinion, around food. So food's the epicenter and then you have to go boom, 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 all these different ways, you know? And I think about the business the same way. You have like your craft, you have the earning, you have your lifestyle, you have all these things, um, right? So everything to me is kind of the same in that way. And you could think about any topic like that. Um, and I think that makes me unique as a, as a business person as well, because I'm interested in exploring other ways to do it. And I can isolate out when I'm thinking about it. I can just think about the business side and put the craft away for a moment. And, and then like you, right, you create a chart essentially not that I've ever made one, but like, how do I make the business as optimal as possible? Great. How do I make the craft as optimal as possible? Right. And then you, how, where do you dial them back till you find this, this meeting ground where everything is say at, you know, they can't all be at a 10 most likely, but maybe they can all be at a seven or an eight. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it, which is different than most people. And I also stay on profitability. I don't care about how much, what your sales numbers are, you know, None of that matters. What matters is profitability. The rest doesn't matter. And pizza is also a good medium, quite frankly, for profitability. Better than most. Low protein, you know, even buying the best flowers that I buy, which are four to five times the cost of most people's flour, it's still affordable because it's pizza. And it's based off, off an ingredient that's still affordable. And it's still water, salt, and flour. What's, uh, are, you, are you able to talk about your margins then? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my margins on my rough food costs, probably about 15%. Um, you know, to be completely honest, you can make a margarita pizza for a dollar, <laughs> a 10 inch margarita pizza. You can make for a dollar, maybe probably less a dollar using the best ingredients. I buy this like cheese curd from a dairy up in Washington that, and I make the mozzarella. I buy like the tomatoes that I think are the best. Um, I buy incredible produce, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, and it still works, right? And a pizza works because you don't put a ton of stuff on it, right? 10 inch pizza's got two, two and a half ounces of sauce. Maybe if I put meat on it, there's maybe an ounce of it, maybe two, right? These are light, light. There's an, two ounces of cheese so that you can work it and then you eat that and you're totally satisfied. It's delicious. It still is an affordable price at 10, 12 bucks, maybe 15 at the highest. And, you know, everyone wins. I make yeah. money. You think you spent money on something that was worth it. You're full. 
it tasted good, we're all happy. It's beautiful. I could charge more. I don't think people would even question it. I just don't because I don't need to. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about everything. Is this why you're taking, like, a, a long road trip? Aside from, you know, taking a much needed break. <laughs> As part of it, yeah. I like space to think. Otherwise, I can my brain can just keep going. So, like, having a month off where I don't have to operate the business, right? It's like I have all this, this breath of air to really think about all, all these things, you know? And hopefully I come back with some kind of clarity on what I want to do. Maybe not. I have no idea. But I'm interested in the alternative routes to doing things. I don't think there's one way to do it. I think there's a million ways to do it. Um, and I think it comes, you know, we're always afraid of what we don't know. And we're afraid. People are afraid to be. People will enact a business model that fails. Right. Ninety percent of restaurants close in their first year. Right. Something like that is like the number or something crazy. But everyone right. does the same fucking thing. So, of course, they fail. Right. If, why is everyone adopting a model that fails? What was wrong with you? <laughs> you got to innovate. Shit. You got to do something different. You know, you yeah. have to be. But it's but we're afraid as, as humans to. It's easy to fail doing something that everyone's done before them because everyone says like, oh, you tried and, you know, you, you didn't make it. But if you go out on your on a limb, people might say, like, what are you crazy? <laughs> But maybe you'll right. also tap into something totally new. Fuck yeah. Um, the the mobile right. thing is a great a great segue into business because it's affordable. So like, you know, I already started when I opened the restaurant with, with like profitability from the truck. So I didn't start, I didn't open a restaurant, you know, negative. I actually started with, you know, my bank account is, has more money than most people have in their bank accounts because I, I ran a business that was super easy to get into and super affordable. You can start a, mo a truck for, you know, 20, 30 grand done. You can do a pop-up setup for even less, you know, it might be harder to market it cause you don't have a real structure, but like, man, two rock boxes cost you seven, 700 bucks a piece and you can make decent pizza on them. <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm lagging with, up that. With nothing more than some tables and, you know, uh, a couple propane tanks and good dough. You can make a great pizza. So, you know, that's where the accessibility point again, becomes both good and bad, right? Because anyone can do it, which is awesome, but then so many people try to do it. And you could also make garbage. <laughs> so um, you can do it so easily without dedicating that time in. But if you want to dedicate the time, anybody can start a business pretty cheaply. And we live in a world now where there's like, there are ways to do it. Um, that's where actually social media is a positive because you can actually create a voice from a thing that doesn't even really exist. <laughs> you, can, you, you can let people know. So that is a value of it. Um, but yeah, there's like all different ways to do things. You just have to be willing to, to go out on a limb. I love how creative you are because you're right. I mean, you're not going to freaking, a lot of people want to get into the pizza business for many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Money is obviously one of them. You need something to live off of, but some people have these like unrealistic dreams, unrealistic expectations, they're thinking their money wrong. They're thinking their balance of life wrong. Mm -hmm. And you've, I'm not saying that you've thought of it all because there's clearly more room for knowledge, but you've thought of a good amount of it. And I, I, I respect, respect I'm, how you think about it. I mean, I just never <laughs> stop. It's always evolving. Like it, it, you know, some people might say to me, like you just, you, you only opened less than a year ago. 
you're considering something else. Well, fuck yeah. May I found something better. I'm going to go find it. And again, I haven't, I haven't hampered myself with debt, which is important. That's a crucial part of the business side of things. That's like, I have the freedom. I can, I could pay off my loans and go on to a new project if I want, you know? You don't want to have any, uns- uh, any sleepless nights. Yeah, for sure. And like, I know so many of my other friends who have restaurants, they couldn't just get out. They couldn't close because they owe a whole bunch of money. <laughs> um, and I don't, I also, I'm a single person. I don't have a family that helps. Um, I'm still relatively young. I'm 33. So like I have certain flexibilities that other people don't, you know, if you're, if you're older than you're, you're in your forties and you got a kid or you got a couple kids and you, you know, again, it's not to say that those things aren't, are good or bad. doesn't even matter. Um, but they are things that keep you bound just like a debt, they're a debt in a certain way, right? Debt to humans, a debt to money, a debt to an institution, a debt to a bank. It's, it's still a, a thing that keeps you in place. Um, so what do you have to say to someone who's already married or already has kids? <laughs> uh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucked. No, just like... no, no, you're not. You're not actually. I, I mean, I want to I want to have children. I love children. Um, it's not like that's out of the question for me. Um, I think I, I don't know a lot about it and I haven't gone that deep there. But like you can find a way to do it. It all depends on your situation. If your partner um, you know, makes a good living, that might help if your partner's down to do it, you know, it's also reimagining, you know, start small, start, start with a mobile business, start with a pizza truck, start with a pizza oven on a trailer, you know, start small, create, create something that's, you know, be patient, I think is really helpful and know that it doesn't, again, a pizza truck, you can get started for, uh, you know, for $30,000, and then you have a business that can go anywhere and, you know, permit here in Portland for a, a food license on a mobile truck is 600 bucks and you can go, you know, and you can like, you can start, that's a small enough investment that you could not even leave your job and do that on weekends. You could, you know, you, there, there are ways to, to go slowly and, and to, the key is to not, not be afraid of the, of the investments that go into it and also not get so financially invested that you're hindered, you know? Um, and so I think it's just a very delicate balance, but I think like anyone can do it. And I think if you have, I believe that if you have something, if you're reasonably thoughtful on the business side and you have a product that's worth it, you know, it'll work out. And, and, you know, you got to believe in that too. And it also, and even if something doesn't work out, that doesn't also mean that you failed. Right. Even if I decide to say, not keep this restaurant open, I didn't fail at all. I actually ran a successful food truck. I've run a successful restaurant. It's profitable since the month I opened. There's never a moment. It wasn't generating profit. And, and I've, people always ask myself, like, I have a lot of friends who have small businesses. When did you start paying yourself? Uh, literally the day I opened, like the business doesn't operate without the primary cost being me, it's minimal paying myself, you know, maybe in year one on the truck, I, I paid myself $25,000, but I paid myself enough to cover my bills. You know, I don't live a extravagant life, so it was fine. I kept most of the money in the business. Like I could have paid myself more, but I kept it in there to right. for me. I don't do a lot of other investing. My investing happens. The business is my investment. So that's where I kept my funds in the business so that we could get the, the things we need so I can expand and get more mobile ovens, so I can do more catering, so I can open a restaurant, right? Um, 
that was where I kept in, I, I re just kept reinvesting. Right. Um, so it, it's very much a business, you know, a decision. And, uh, and I like that part too. I find that interesting. I don't find it to be daunting. I don't find it to be boring. I think it's fun. Um, and crucial. Wow. So many people can't say that. Right. And I think one thing I wanted to touch on was there are different ways earlier. I said, you're effed if you have a wife or if you have a family, no, it's, it's how do I learn what works for me? As you said, even if you like some people fail all the time, but the point is like, you got to figure it out. That's the hard part about starting a business. I'm, I'm guilty of that myself, like not wanting to initially figure it out, but yeah, something has to click in your head that like it, it requires work. It requires hustle, grit, and you just got to do it. And yeah. And you got to learn from failing. Like every, you talk to any of the, you know, you listen to any, any podcast with uh, any of the, you know, all the famous chefs around the country, most of their first restaurants failed. Some of them went into crazy debt and people had all people's first story is not typically of, of glowing success. Um, so it's like, it's okay. As long as you learn from it, you know, again, I, even if I, whether I, say kept the restaurant open or not i learned so much i also ran a success i'm running currently running a successful restaurant i'm I'm successful during covid it's fine um you readjust constantly but like you know i just think it's as long as you're learning you know you're always developing it's it's one thing if you quote unquote fail it's only a failure if you don't learn anything you know it sounds a little cheesy but it's true otherwise you just like keep going if you care about it you know um, I told a friend of mine the other day, just like kicking around some of these ideas. And I was like, don't, I was like, I'm not going to like stop doing what I'm doing. I still own the pizza truck. I still love what I do. I'm just like always curious about other ways to do it. Um, and you know, you got to keep that in check too. If you want to be committed to something, both are really important. But I also understand that, you know, Gracie's the business is not the truck or the structure. It's, it's, it's a, it's a living thing. It's like a living organism and living organisms are constantly, you know, they change their shape, they're shapeshifters. And so I think that that's important. And I don't know that that's a, yeah, I don't know. I think the way that I think about it is kind of unique for sure. I don't, I talk to a lot of other business owners and like, they don't, they don't imagine it the same way. Um, they, they'll say things like you change, it's ever changing and you have to, they'll say all the cliches, you got to adjust on the fly and you got to be adaptable. But, but I'm talking like really kind of amorphous, if that's the word, like really fluid, you know, and dynamic thing. And maybe it changes its form. I also thought how cool it'd be to have a restaurant that every six months closed for two weeks and opens different in some form. Could be a little bit, not necessarily like pizza to, to pasta, but just like Maybe the men, the whole menu changes. Maybe the structure of the restaurant changes. Maybe you repaint it. Maybe you, uh, I don't know. Maybe you make six, 12, 14 inch pizzas instead of 10 inch pizzas. Maybe you change your flowers. I don't know. Like what if, what if we had these things that were built in, you know, built in, that's kind of what's nice about the truck. It has built in fluidity. Um, every day you can kind of open different if you want to. Um, it's nice. Open a food truck, man. <laughs> I want to. I'm thinking about it now. You got me thinking like, so I'm I'm all about like financial independence and freedom and all of that. When it comes to financial independence, I'm like just talking about like not having to rely too much on money. 
and doing something that I love to do when I want to do it on my own time. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good setup for the, that's a great setup, amazing setup. You, you, you get to just take it wherever you want to go, take it day by day and, and have enough to live. I mean, all you got to do is try not to make dumb, too dumb a decision, <laughs> right? Like you were, someone could easily be like, oh, I'm making money. I, I'm going to take not 25,000 a year. I'll take 50 and, you know, maybe sure. go on a couple trips here and there. But you decided to just continue growing. One thing I was trying to find out is in your new venture, what if you just like blow the F up? With like the just popularity, anything. Sure. What yeah. would you do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If I liked it, I'd keep doing it. Honestly, I'd probably, I'd probably, if I really blew up, I'd probably say I blew up, blew up in the class, in the model that I have now. I'd probably close an extra day. <laughs> Right. I was even talking with a friend before all the COVID stuff. He was like, he owns a restaurant in town. He's like, yeah, going in the summer, I think we're going to go up to an extra day a week. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, we're going to be busier. So we're going to add a day. And I was like, oh, cool. I think we're going to close an extra day a week because we're going to be busier. Right. That's the opposite of I've said this to everybody and everyone else in my industry looks at me like I'm fucking crazy, crazy. Oh, yeah. Like, no, man, if I'm going to go bump up 40 percent on Friday and Saturday, why do I need to be open on Tuesday or Wednesday? Right. Good night. And still take a balance. day off and go for a hike, you know? Um, so I think if I blew up, I would hope – if I blew up, I would hope it would, I would hope that I could approach it to create more freedom. But that's because freedom to me is a, is, a val- is a real important value. Other people are, maybe are more okay being chained in their business. So We're all different, you know? Mm-hmm. Some people think, like, you got you to gotta work, you know? You got to work all day, every day. You got to, you know, and there is an element of hours equal a certain, you know, 10,000 hours is like, you know, there's like an element of that, but man, you have to have a life. One thing I've, part of what prompted this trip is like, is COVID. Um, I live on a half acre uh, in in Portland. I live in a a bus, actually. I live in a converted bus. Um, Probably not surprising, uh, given all of my, the things I say. Um, We have this half acre. We have this half acre garden paradise. My dog runs around all day long and like I'm open only two days a week doing these like limited pre-ordered services where you get like a set, you get two pizzas, a salad and ice cream for 45 bucks. We have set pickup times, super limited. We do like 30 a night max, two nights a week. And like with that, I have so much time that I'm spending just here, like in my, in this, like in this garden, half I live acre in. bus garden. You know, and like I'm outside right now and the birds are chirping. And this, you know, my dog's running around with his ball and like Beautiful. I like this lifestyle, you know, and I can like I have so much time to, to read books. Since I started COVID, I've been walking like five to ten miles a day. We just take walks, you know. What a nice life, you know. So part of part of it is definitely like embracing this I, because of because of being on, you know stay at home orders and stuff like that. Like it's allowed me to, to practice this lifestyle and fuck. I love it. I don't want to go back to work and to being open six days a week. No way. Um, I love being off. I love having time to take walks, to play with my dog, to, you know, to do this for an hour and a half and not, if, if this, if this was a normal work day, I wouldn't be doing this. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't have the time. I really wouldn't. Um, if and when we reopen, however we reopen, like the menu is going to be way smaller. Menu's going to be like a lot of things are going to be different. 
we're going to sell out at less pizzas than we used to probably won't sell more than 75 a night. Um, yeah, just like change the model to, in the meantime, adjust to this lifestyle that I like a lot more and yeah, and I love it. Are you, what about your employees though? I mean, are they on salary? How are you, are you just going to cut the hours on them? What would you do? That's the trick. That's the tricky part. The employees are the tricky part. Ultimately I had five employees. One was leaving anyway to have a baby. Um, the reality is there's just not going to be enough business right away to open. Even if I wanted to, we're just not gonna be busy enough. So, um, I have two part-timers and two full-timers and I'm, it's kind of like triage, you know, I'm prioritizing my full-timers who they work for me full-time. I am their income. They've been with me the longest and I start with them. You know, I'm trying to, they're working a little bit right now for me. I'm trying to give them as much, the plan is to build as much hours for them and then see where things go. And then we build in, you know, the other two employees that are part-time if, and when we can. And I mean, unfortunately, because of COVID, that's a reality that we're all going to face. Unfortunately, Unfortunately. it's sad. And it's, it it kind of sounds maybe even callous, but it's just, it's just, again, it's just math. Like I'm not going to be able to be open six days a week at the same volume I was before. I just can't. And ultimately I can't, you know, some people are just like, you know, you have to do what's good for the business. And if you can't bring all those, it's not going to do the, it's not going to do the business any good to have it hemorrhage money. <laughs> then, right. then everyone goes out of business. So it's, right. it's triage, you know? And uh, like I said, I prioritize, I'm prioritizing the people that have, you know, been with me since day one and work full time. And we'll just go down the list from there. And if so, I have to close, I'm, I'm also very transparent with them. I've talked to them about my ideas. Good. Like, it's not like they're secrets. It's like, right. and I'm not going to pull the rug out tomorrow, right? When I talk about these things, it's not like some people are like, think I'm going to close tomorrow. It's like, no, I'm thinking, I'm planning, you know, I'm like, I'm exploring other ideas. We might be open for another year. We might be open for another four years. <laughs> it's right. just. Uh, it's kind of what's brewing in your mind right now. And there's really no set time date. No, um, not at all. It's, it's, just, it's just being open. You know, and I might come back from this trip and be like, fuck it. I just want to get back into this place and do it, you know, in this way. Yeah, Yeah. it's about being like intellectually plastic. Hmm. For me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Sorry. It's so much to soak in. It's just it's such a different way of thinking. I resonate with it a lot. And then I also, you know, I don't. (laughs) Right. But. I feel like it's definitely more of my, my, my foundations. Like I would love, I, I want to travel the world, eat food, eat good food, provide, put smiles on people's faces. And I want to do that with pizza. And also I want to be able to be with my wife who probably wouldn't want to travel. And then also when it comes down to running a business, I consistency, right? I, I think that's, where I kind of thrive too. What do you have to say about consistency? Uh, I think the I'm consistently inconsistent. Okay, <laughs> I see what you did there, and that's go ahead. Because I because I believe in I believe in fluidity. I had a friend come in who's like a, she does a lot of like food food writing, food blogging in town. She's also a good friend of mine. She came in early on, and she like loved this one thing we made. This like caramelized garlic vinaigrette kind of dipping sauce-esque thing we were doing and uh, we use it as a base for like a vegan pizza if people want to dunk their crust i'll give it to them to dunk their, their crust she loved it and she came back later she like wanted it again i was like we don't have it she came back again and we have like a different version of it she's like oh this tastes different than the last time and i was like sorry you know that's just how it goes 
um, everything I work with is alive, right? The produce is alive. The dough is alive. Every, you can't have pizza be the same every day. It's impossible. You come, in in the, you come in the course of a service and it's different. If you come eat a pizza when we open at five and when I open at nine, you're eating different dough. Yeah. It's, been si- it's been sitting out or, or <laughs> every day is different, especially when it's, when it's you know, naturally fermented. It's got its own life every day. I mean, you can time everything as much as you want, but it's like it's live. And I just go with that every day. You know, I, I cook wood fired because I cook wood fired for me because I like it. But it's hard. You have to be al- it's a it's it's alive. Right. I can't tell you when to when to put wood on. You have to know you have to feel it. You know, cooking wood fired pizza is like it's like dancing. And, uh, it's way different. Sometimes I wish I just had a pizza master and I could set that thing at seven twenty-five, seven fifty, <laughs> and just have it run like that all night long. Yeah. But, but we huh. don't, you know? So for me, this business is built on being alive and that means that it's not going to be consistent. It's going to be consistently delicious. That's for sure. We're going to be consistently nice to you. Um, but you know, we're also going to have bad days cause we're human beings. So someday we might be a little less nice than the day before. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. I don't, I, I let my people be who they are. Yeah. That's funny that you said that. It's true. I laugh because that's the way I am at home, but I'm like trying to change that. And it's funny that you say it, it's okay. You know, um, I'm just wondering like, ah, oh, shit, my dough looks so different today or my sauce. It, you know, it's, I made this homemade sauce and I don't get, got the ratios right, but it tastes <laughs> amazing, but it's, I'm never going to get that flavor again or that same that experience and sometimes that's the stuff that draws me back or like i'm i'm searching for it's like how do i make it taste like last time i mean it still tastes great you got taste that's where it's all about the tasting you know it's just like we don't have i mean i have loose formulas for things we have a dough formula but like taste 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 you know are you tasting raw dough Uh, i don't taste the raw dough okay for sauce i mean taste it you know eat a pizza it also might some days we don't we have a loose way that we make sauce. It's not measured to a T. Um, the dough is the one thing that like, you know, I mean, I have, it's all weight, you know, we have weights and measures for things, but like there's always adjustments. I don't time how long it sits out versus how long it goes in the fridge. I don't time, you know, the, the amount of time that I fold it or whatever. It's just like, it, it's, it's alive. It's its own living thing. Every batch of dough is going to be different. The starter is always at a different level of activity the dough is always the flour is different every bag you open is different um they've been sitting longer they've been you know who knows the mill date on necessarily the exact mill date on each bag and you know it's alive everything's alive and so i don't worry about consistency as long as it's delicious and the consumer has no idea they don't know they don't know my sauce tastes different they have no fucking clue they like it it's good it's never bad right and it's never wildly different. They're not going to be able to tell because I put a little less olive oil or a little less salt or a little less garlic. They're not going to know. They're just going to like it. <laughs> it's not like I'm for- if I forget the salt, it might be one thing. But like, you know, we're not talking It's for tomato sauce, for instance. It's the same tomato. And then we, we take garlic, olive oil, and salt. And I puree it into a paste. And we, we throw a couple tablespoons in each batch of each can of tomato. And that's it. Done. Um, you know, so it's basically the same. They're not going to know the, the slight minute difference. I don't right. even notice, let alone like a person who eats there even once a week. Yeah. So very minimal are the people who are going to notice, if at all, if any. Right. They're and... never going to notice. Nobody's going to notice, in my opinion. There you go. They, they'd have to be a, uh, they'd have to have a crazy taste memory to even be like, oh, my gosh, this tastes 
so much. I mean, because it's not drastically different. It's not like I put in uh, 10 grams of salt one day into the sauce and then 150 the next day. <laughs> it's probably like instead of a tablespoon and a half of that puree, I put in two tablespoons, you know, right. and then nobody's going to notice that that small difference, in my opinion. Yeah. So don't be too hard on yourself. Thanks. I, I, I want people to know that it's like everyone talks about consistency, taste and flavor. And then we have a perfect example of why it shouldn't. And I think that's very valuable to people who are looking to start their own business. Are there any other like huge mistakes that you've made that just kind of propelled you to like adapt and change and just kind of drive you? I wouldn't say there's huge mistakes. I mean, there's huge, there's mistakes every day. Um, it could be something as simple as where I put the dough in the refrigerator overnight. Um, I had dough a couple nights a week, a couple of weeks ago, like really proof. It was still fine, but it proofed out a lot when it was proofing overnight in the fridge. And I put, I make them in hotel pans and I put two full hotel pans in the bottom of my fridge at the shop in the corner stacked on top of each other. And when you do that, right, you have so much mass in one area that they couldn't get cold fast enough. And so they overproofed. And then the next day I was like, I did that two days in a row and I was like, oh shit. And then the next day I put them in two different spots in the fridge on racks where there's air circulation. Beautiful. Didn't overproof at all. Something so simple as where you put the dough in the fridge or how you put the dough in the fridge. And at that time I didn't think about it. I just threw them in. And then I had two awful nights of service for me where I was like, I was getting more holes than normal. The dough was just not right. And it was like something as simple as where I put the dough in the fridge. So I just think that's like, that's the game. Yeah. When you have those crazy nights, right? What, what, for someone who hasn't had that before, what advice can you give me to them? <laughs> uh, hold on to your horses. Stay, just, just stay calm. Honestly, it's the main thing. Stay calm. Getting angry, getting stressed out doesn't help. Um, make sure, you know, you're prepared for those. Like that's where your skills come in, right? That's where having a, I was just listening to an interview with Jeff Garland, the comedian, and he was talking about how he has like, he thinks of his standup as being uh, a mixture of art and craft. And he has nights where he goes in there and he knows he's not on. And when he knows he's not on um, kind of emotionally, or he doesn't get the, the he doesn't have the, he, he thinks himself as a comedian's comedian. So if he doesn't get a crowd that really appreciates him and he knows it within two minutes, he, he was like, I can lean on my craft. Right. And that's where I, I, I know that there are different performances where I can lean on the fact that I am a craftsman. So there's nights when I'm there and everything is fucking perfect and beautiful and service is beautiful and these pies are great. The oven temp's perfect. Everything's rocking and rolling. Staff's all in sync. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's like, it's, it's art. Um, and there's other, nights, there's other nights where it's not and it's grueling and that's where you have to have the, the skills and the craft. And that's where if you don't, that's where a lot of people go down because if people open a business and they don't have that, Right. That's where the hours come into play. <laughs> that's where that's where the putting in the reps comes into play, because you can, you know, I know that dough and I know when it's different. And I also know how to adjust if it's overproofed. I, I, I have three different stretching styles. I stretch differently depending on the dough. You know, some days it's a little warmer. Some days it's a little colder. One day I forgot to pull. We were busier and I didn't pull it out fast enough. You know, the, the dough and it's slightly colder or, you know the hydration is a little bit higher. So I cook hotter, you know, whatever the thing is, um, you just got to, that's where you got to lean on your craft. You refer to it as like, you know, putting in the reps, right. Understanding yeah. what you're doing on the business side. What do you think 
is the most important to get in your, your reps? Like what would, can, what can someone practice? Talk to everyone, you know, like talk creatively, talk to everyone so that you're listening, really listening curiously and like, Oh, that seems like a really great thing that they do in their business. I wonder how it works. Ask more questions, you know, have a good community of people that are transparent and like find out what works for people and what doesn't work for people explore outside of your medium, right? I was just talking about Jeff Garland, like listen to someone else that's successful in whatever they do. Why are they successful? Um, and, and, and really try to apply that in, again, like whether you're building a house, you're talking about psychedelics or you're talking about, you know, food, like what, what's the unifying thing there, you know? And that's something I think is important. Actually going outside of your realm is really, really important. I listen to it. Uh, a podcast all the time called the knowledge project. It's hands down my favorite. And, um, you know, he talks to people that are super successful in very traditional forms. A lot of it's in investing, uh, in tech, and these people are brilliant and they have such, their minds are so creative and unique and interesting. He's a great podcaster. Um, he asks great questions and like, I learned so much about running the business from those people so much about, you know, how to manage people about whatever, about anything, you know, it's like understanding how to apply that, especially because my business is a bunch of people who mostly fail. So they're not the best model. You learn what not to do, but like, man, take something from another model and, you know, bring it in, apply it, whether that be a leadership style, whether that be how they get their reps, whether that be whatever, you know, um, I think you have to really be broad. And, and if you're, if you're, if you're only locked into like pizza, pizza making, pizza business, restaurant business, I think you're missing a lot of what's available out there. So I think that's how you get your reps. You know, if you can't talk to people again, we have a wonderful world of podcasts. Listen, 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 read, reach out to people and ask questions. The people that you think are doing it great. You know, a, another beautiful thing about Instagram is you can, you can talk to anybody. You can talk to your idol, whomever your idol is, you can find them on social media and probably get in touch with them. And you write them like an earnest message and they'll probably respond, especially since most people don't write anything earnest in this world. So if you write someone an earnest email, they're probably gonna respond. And so just keep learning, I think. And don't be afraid, but yeah, do your reps, wherever you gotta get it. <laughs> it's interesting that you said that um, because I was, I'd never watched Joe Rogan before until I started podcasting and just to, Learn from someone who's as successful as he is. He's a master. He's innately curious. That's what his ultimate thing is. I mean, he talks to such a wide platform of people, comedians, scientists. I mean, I just listened to one with this, uh, with Rhonda Patrick. It's a really great one about like nutrition and health. There's another great one. I just listened to with, uh, somebody who's an attorney for, uh, indigenous peoples of America, you know, it's just like such a, you know, Cornell West, like this crazy swath of people. Then I listened with Tony Hawk. It was awesome. You know, so yeah. interesting. I learned a ton from my, from listening to a two and a half hour podcast with Tony Hawk. That's what I mean. You can learn. We have so much access to, to the people that have been successful all across the world. Check out the knowledge project too, if you don't already. Um, it's really just longer format, hour to two hours, super, super interesting. Uh, he's a Canadian guy and he's like super curious and really, he just has a really unique platform. I think if you want to start a podcast, what do you need to do? 
get your reps in. <laughs> right, right. Listen, listen, listen. Um, one reason I brought up Joe Rogan was he's willing to talk about certain uncomfortable things, ask un- uncomfortable questions, and then people mm-hmm. just open up um, mm-hmm. on, on that show. And they, they know that that's the vibe over there. Joe Rogan had Kevin Hart on there, and he talked about how he met Jeff Bezos. And his friend kept telling him, nah, dude, don't go up to Jeff Bezos. Like, that's not cool. He's like, no, fuck that. I'm going to go to Jeff Bezos and ask him about some, sure. ask him about Amazon, right? And if you ask people particularly that you don't think you agree with, you're either going to confirm your position more you're, or you're going to learn something. The worst case scenario is you're going to be like, oh, man, this guy is a fucking asshole. <laughs> right? And that might. And you might still walk away and say, man, this guy is an asshole. And you might still learn something because you know, even the, even the, the most corrupt, evil person, whether Jeff Bezos is or not, I don't know. I don't even really care. But you can – I would totally sit down and have a conversation with him. Right. And that's what Joe Rogan does. People, people all the time think that he's like – you know, people think all kinds of things about him. But he's one of the few people that will actually talk to people from different political ideologies. From, he's curious, you know. And uh, he'll ask tough questions because he wants to learn. And like – that's to me, that's, that's what it's all about. And you have to sit down with people and you have to talk and learn from people that you don't think you'll agree with. I mean, I, I look for things I don't agree with to listen to because you might get a gem or you might continue to disagree with them. I call and, them nuggets. Uh, yeah. Nuggets. Exactly. Little diamonds in the rough and like you can get a nugget anywhere. So like I'm always listening. <laughs> Um, same with food. Like I have a kind of rule where I'll engage with anything food related. It could be the worst thing in the whole world, like a podcast or, you know, maybe like something on television or something every once in a while. But like you could even learn from the worst thing ever. Yeah. Something. If you're willing to learn or you can go say this thing, I'm I'm already opposed to this thing and I'm done, you know? Yeah. So it seems like you take in a bunch of content. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. How the hell do you justify what you do with all that information? Is it just what's most, most pressing? What's most important? What you can do? Shit. Let you... it, I don't I don't I don't think about when it comes to fruit. I don't think about when it comes into being. I just kind of take it in. I digest it. Um, I let it hang around in there. One day I'll be having a conversation. I'll pull it out without knowing it. Uh, I try to allow myself enough time to process, you know. I try, I have like, it's another rabbit hole, but like, you know, I'm pretty diligent about the way that I live. So like I, you know, I've been, I try to eat really well. I try to sleep a lot. You know, I don't eat, I try not to eat after seven or eight o'clock at night. Uh, if I drink any wine, which is the only really alcohol I drink, I try not to drink it after seven or eight o'clock at night. So that my sleep can be really optimal. <laughs> um, you know, I try to, I try to do meditations once or twice a day. Like I try to make sure there's other space um, I make a lot of, I make a lot of pasta and dough, very like, very mindful practices for me, you know, stretching, physical exercise, like taking those walks, like having a lot of time to also just like digest or do nothing. And that's, what's been so good about life lately is that there's that time is so much more expanded versus my work week, which can be really like, got to get up, got to get out of the house, got to get, got to pick up the cheese, got to get the produce, got to get to the shop, got to get prepped, got to get open, you know? And I want all of that to ease up a lot more moving forward. For those who are thinking to themselves, like, why the hell would I do that? Why would I take time off from making money and blah, blah, blah? Let's let's talk about 
aside from the benefits that Craig has mentioned, like think about the term sharpening the saw. You need time to just be able to reflect. Mm -hmm. You need time to just be able to cool down and let your brain like explore. Mm -hmm. let, it, it's so important to reassess and just, but also it doesn't even have to be that structured. It, it'll just come to you if you mm -hmm. just sit still and give your time, give yourself time to breathe. I think so. Yeah. And I think it's got to be intrinsically motivated. It's intrinsically motivated. It feels good. If it's externally motivated. It doesn't feel good. So yeah. I think that's like super important. And, yeah. uh, well, yeah, it, it starts, it starts by not forcing it, but then yeah. first learning, I mean, obvious, sorry, first you don't want to force it, right? If it's not, if it doesn't feel good, but start by learning about it, maybe mm -hmm. dive into it a little bit more rather than just thinking, why would, the hell would I take time off? Think, just learn about it. Yeah. Be open to that idea. And if it works for you, it could do wonders. It could not, yeah. but you know, but for those who are thinking, why is this person just so chill with taking time <laughs> off? It's because there is value to it. Yeah. And you got to listen to, you got to listen to yourself, you know, and you got to listen to what feels good in your life. And if working a lot really feels good, then you should do it, you know, or, and we're also, also, we're all hindered by different experiences, like, like our life experiences and, we all need to make different amounts of money for various reasons. And, you know, there's like uh, infinite factors. I don't want to isolate. It's not just one thing. It's like a complicated, nuanced, dynamic conversation in the same way that I don't think this podcast was supposed to be two hours. And here we are, you know, um, that's just like, it's, it's you got to go where things go. And then you're going to figure out how to edit this thing. Good luck. But, um, you know, I think that's just like the way that's the way it goes, you know, um, yeah. And you just, you take things where they go. And luckily I had two hours to sit here. It would have been different if, like I said, if it was four months ago, I probably would have not been able to sit here for more than maybe a half hour. It would have mattered more. You know, you asked me if I had a hard stop and right now I don't, I'm off today. Um, so. It's a beautiful yeah. balance of life. You know? Yeah. And I, to me, that's the most important is like not forgetting that it's so easy to lose yourself in the business um, because of your ego, because of your financial needs for all the reasons you know and uh I just other wonder. motivating factors and i've lost it i've lost it for sure it's not like it's all been perfect and wonderful i've had plenty of moments where i was like distracted or only thought about the business and um, i don't want to live that way so i appreciate that i appreciate the honesty and the the different insight i think it's very important to consider that reassess what you love in life what means most to you and then you can this, this one sounds cheesy to me, but you can literally <laughs> design your life. Sure. Like it, it's that simple if, if you take the time and, and you actually want to do it. Yeah, it's, it's for sure. And again, it's, it's that simple and complicated at the same time because there's like endless factors, right? You know, there's endless factors of what we all have available to us. And, and I just think it's, uh, it's just being open to all those things um, and being willing to, to, to flow and adjust and, you know, just build something that feels good to you. And if you do something that feels good to you, again, like if you make the food you want to eat, people are probably going to like it. If you make the business you want to run, you're probably going to treat your people well. You know, you're probably going to be a valued member of your community. I just think it all stems, but it, but it has to feel good. You know, setting out on some mission to be something. It, I don't know if that's as good as doing something that feels good. And I think the rest will kind of fall into place if it feels good. If we had to, you know, do one key message that you want to give to someone always be curious that's it 
to me, that's my foundational principle of living is be curious from curiosity stems everything else. In my opinion, if you're curious, you will be a good listener. If you're curious, you will, uh, be humble. If you're curious, you will never stop learning. You know, if you're curious, you'll also kind of be kind to people <laughs> because you want to learn about them. You're inherently interested in their well-being. You know, I just think it's, it's for me, the, the most foundational principle. And if you build a business, a craft, if you build anything on curiosity, I think it'll end up being something that's, that's authentic and worth it. And that's just what it boils down to. And if you're curious about, if you're curious, you'll be curious about making pizza and you'll be curious about building a good business and need to do both. If you want to do a pizza business. Curiosity. It's the best I got. It does not kill the cat. It's what Christ <laughs> believes in. Exactly. Excellent. 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 I am getting really hot in my Harry Potter closet. Yeah. You're, I was wondering this whole time, like yeah. what kind of crazy room you're in. I am sitting on the deck looking at a giant, beautiful garden. So I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm going to get outside. Cool. Cool. Thanks All for chatting. Right, Have a good day. Take care. You too. Craig, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for sharing your views and your opinions on life, on business, on pizza. Um, I really respect it, actually. And and, uh, it's, it's a balance that you've created for yourself. And I dig it. And I hope other people dig it as well. So the listeners, what do y'all think? Hour and a half episode. Can you believe it? Y'all made it all the way through. So congratulations to you for uh, taking in a new idea. Um, But tell me, did you like it? Did you hate it? Should I keep making longer content like this? It takes a lot of work, y'all. So please leave me a comment on IG. Give me a rating on Apple Podcasts. Let me know so that I can keep creating a better podcast for tomorrow. Till next time, y'all. Be good. Peace.